Gravel fans, and welcome to Deep Blue Something. This is a Chikara podcast hosted by yours truly, Chikara founder Mike Quackenbush, and his truly, Chikara's director of fun and senior official Bryce Remsberg. Here on the podcast, we talk about just four topics. Something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Mr. Remsberg, how are you? I'm fantastic. It's been far too long, Mike. There's been two been- weeks. Uh, yeah, two whole weeks. Uh, there's There's been so much that's gone down since we last spoke, but it's a pleasure in our ever-busy, real and fake lives to make time to, to catch up in podcast form for all the Debbies out there that I know they've just been clamoring at the bit, lined up outside the Chikara offices. They've come to our homes. They want more. They're going to get more. We are We are recording Deep Blue Something back in full swing here today, Mike. Right on. And yeah, I guess we do have a couple things that we could talk about, including a suggestion that came to us from our pal and a collaborator of mine. He is the co-author of one of the Chikara yearbooks. He is Kevin Ford at KFord13. When we threw out the net trying to catch ourselves some podcasting fish, we asked, what is something old from Chikara's history that you would like to hear about? And we, we got a number of great suggestions uh, like somebody asked about Lucha's Day of Puesta. We certainly could have talked about that today if we wanted to. We, we certainly could have. Uh, a number of great things. Uh, however, Kevin had asked about the Global Gauntlet. Have you, uh, speaking, of, speaking of global things and Kevin, has Kevin taken you to the Korean place by the Nova venue in Virginia, Mike? Uh, Kevin has not, but I got okay. to go there once with Cabana Man Dan and oh. a van load of Alabamians. Uh, Al- which, Al- Al- Alabamians or Albanians? Uh, Alabamians. So okay, yeah, okay. I am I am one hundred and five percent certain that the correct demonym for Alabama is Alabamians. <laughs> I agree. Um, and is also, by the way, I think the most common mascot at Alabama high schools. You know? <laughs> the well, fighting Alabamian. Right. We're the Frederick Douglass Alabamians, don't you know? <laughs> um, I imagine that uh it would be unlikely to get a van full of Albanians in Northern Virginia. That would be uh <laughs> Some boat would have needed to be taken at some point. If anybody could pull it off, it's Kevin Ford and Nova yeah. Pro. That's true. That's true. Um, Anyhow, I'm glad you at least got to experience that fine restaurant in Annandale, Virginia. Kevin has taken me there uh, prior to an event for dinner. A delightful experience. And, uh, always pleasure chatting with Kevin, be it uh, IRL, as the kids say, or virtually, as we did this week, looking for suggestions. Mm-hmm. So think about the global gauntlet. Hard to believe it is nearly 10 years ago that this event took place. It happened in October of 2008. It was split across two nights of season seven. Uh, One of these nights was at the Palmer Center in Easton. The other night was in Philly at the uh, former ECW arena. The time it might have been just the arena. It might have been the Alhambra. Uh, It was (laughs) not yet the 2300. Um, I like when they gave up and were like, just call it the arena. (laughs) Right. That should make things easy on Google. (laughs) Right, Right. The arena. You know, the arena. What was the ven- What was the venue in Jeffersonville, Indiana? That had another type of. It was a. a, a, a it was a basic and hard to Googleable. They did. Right, no, it was also there. the arena. Yeah, yeah, the arena. Of course, it's that's also the arena. Of. Right. It was full of an an unforeseen amount of dust and car parts in the locker room and a leaky roof. Yeah. And of course, we're they we were there in the middle of a not gorilla monsoon. No. Uh, it was pouring down rain, yeah. and because the roof was, um, you know, like corrugated metal or whatever, it was so loud. Do you remember that? I like do. the rain hitting the roof was like deafening, mm-hmm. and then it's just leaking down in all these different kinds of places. 
And I know they still run events there because from time to time, the proprietor of the arena or, or the guy who places acts there will reach out and be like, hey, any any Chikara tours coming through, uh, you know, that part of Indiana or whatever? And, yes. uh, you know, just click forward and then I type in your email oh, yeah. and then I hit send. <laughs> Yeah, the oh. arena. I think that that may, maybe that's why it goes in spam. It's, it's such a general term. Those right. Emails yes. You've been right. 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 The Greater Louisville, Kentucky area. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, indeed. Sorry. Anyhow. Anyhow. Global Global Gauntlet. Right. The Global Gauntlet. So this precedes the Infinite Gauntlet, but boy, does it speak to our love of gauntlets. Um, and if you know anything about Night Three of King of Trios, you know it's not the only gauntlet on our calendar. Uh, so the Global Gauntlet, which took place again back all the way in season seven was split up across two nights and came about by virtue of uh, this bizarre process. And we, we've, we've had things like this happen at King of Trios before, where we throw out a whole lot of invitations. And what you come to realize is some organizations, their schedules are made up really far in advance. So you can throw out the nicest invitation possible, but if the dates don't work out, nobody's coming to play. A great example of that, um, I, I remember... Mako Satamura was felt a certain kind of way about the Sendai girls are on tour this year at the exact same time. Like I would have loved to have seen the Sendai girls at King of Trios this year, but Sendai girls make up their tour schedule a full year in advance. Just isn't going to happen. Um, so we threw out some invitations months before this event was, was meant to take place. And do you remember CMLL was one of the organizations we reached out to? I believe so. Yes, definitely. Um, do you remember what any of the other ones were? We sent out maybe five, seven invitations. Uh, I pr- probably to go back to that year's King of Trios. There was there was an uh, we were working with an Australian outfit. I'm not sure they were one of the groups, mm-hmm. but I believe O08 Trios was the Super 28 Trio one. Right. So there was a lot of hands in a lot of different areas at that point, if I remember correctly, but right. CML sounds definitely for sure. Perhaps I know we were working at it for a time with IPWK. They've sent a team. That's yeah. where we first met the, the fine governor, Martin stone. That's right. AZW uh, out in Hawaii, of course. Uh-huh. 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 That's, this is back when trios was split up over the, the quarterfinals couldn't be contained or the first round couldn't be contained to one night. Mm-mm. Um, no way. uh, two overbooked. The, the, right. The major Japanese outfit at the time I would, uh, I believe, was Big Japan. So that, that's how this came to be, right? That's right. So uh, among the m- higher-profile Japanese independent groups at the time was Big Japan Wrestling. And uh, I'm being very plain when I tell you that was prob. If you'd asked me to rank the likelihood in which the groups would agree to come and play with us, I would have put them dead last. Uh-huh. I just thought there's no way Big Japan is going to take us up on this. But, as you may have guessed... Big Japan Wrestling does take us up on the offer of the Global Gauntlet, and they come to play with us for a weekend, uh, which includes on the first night a best-of-five series. So uh, very similar in structure to something that we're going to be talking about in just a little bit, clan feuds. Mm -hmm. So there were five matches uh, that counted toward this series on the card up in Easton, and those matches were Yuji Okabayashi against Ultimo Breakfast. (laughs) <laughs> How's that for a blast from the past? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jackie Numazawa took on Ultramantis Black. Katsumasa Inoue took on Hollow Wicked, or Inoue. 
Uh, and I am pretty sure, if memory serves, shortly after the Global Gauntlet, uh, Katsumasa retires. Hollow Wicked is one of his very last matches. Brody Lee took on Daisuke Sakamoto. Oh, a main event anywhere in the world, Brain. Right? You're not kidding. And I wrestled a man whose surname is Ito. Now, it's possible, Bryce, that you might have had a commitment this weekend and were not as part of the proceedings as you would have normally been. Fair to say? Right. Yes, fair to say. I don't, I, I have watched the, this event, but I don't remember being there in person. Uh, uh, 10 years is a lot to your brain, especially when we're dealing with what, 250 Chikara events we've had over the past 16 right. plus years. But I do not believe I was there in person, no. Right. So uh, this fine fellow who was uh, the ace of the promotion at the time, I remember when I was being introduced to him, and I was being introduced to him by the Big Japan Wrestling Referee. I said, hi, and I pronounced his name Ryuji, because it's spelled R-Y-U-J-I. And in my mind, that said Ryuji. Mm -hmm. But the referee is like, no, no, it said Ryuji, or whatever the referee said. And I must have tried 10 times to pronounce this guy's name right. And no matter what came out of my face, they were both like, no, that's not right. <laughs> and I was really frustrated because this is someone who I'm going to be wrestling later on. We're also meeting for the first time. And it's like, tonight I'm the representative from Chikara and you're the representative from Big Japan Wrestling. And I can't say your name right. Um, yeah, I just remember being mortified. Uh, I felt like such a moron because they just kept repeating whatever that sound was, right? However, that R and Y. Um, slide together is that a diphthong do you know do you know bryce what is that uh, i don't believe it's a diphthong uh and i don't want to make any guesses here about uh i don't know i don't know there's the the, the, the vowel is complicated and japanese is never my strong point would that referee in question be the great nikon lee uh it might have been i believe she was with us she was with us several times she would come over with the big japan guys often but uh she was the, the, the first female referee uh, if memory serves, to officiate a ch match in a Chikara ring. Mm -hmm. And one, one of the most smiley people I've ever met. So I can yes. imagine that probably only compounded your frustration about this pronunciation issue. Right. And you know, so polite. I'll, I know enough just polite Japanese, right, to like welcome people and ask them how they're doing and that sort of thing. But boy, they stumped me with Mr. Ito's first name to the point that I just call him Mr. Ito. Uh, like, I, I just stopped trying to pronounce his name because I couldn't believe after, like, ten tries. Like, how am I not getting this? So, uh, yeah, that was on night one of the Global Gauntlet. That one took place up in Easton. And, if you're uh, that, listening, Ito, send us a tweet. Please, let us know how to say your first name. Yeah, Spell uh, it out phonetically for mm -hmm, us. Right, yeah. Use your great phonetic skills yeah, to express yeah, yeah, that in yeah. a tweet. Um, uh -huh. So, Big Japan Wrestling, uh, they win the best of five series uh, on our home turf. And then uh, on night two of the Global Gauntlet, we had a, a different type of gauntlet, so to speak, a seven versus seven gauntlet match. So this was not like a cybernetico. It's not a circuit match. It's a gauntlet match. That is to say, winner stays on. So um, in this one, however, Chikara uh, was victorious. When Team Chikara took on Team Big Japan uh, in you know what is sometimes just referred to as the Global Gauntlet match itself, as opposed to like the whole weekend... Uh, we were victorious. And if memory serves, we are victorious thanks to Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, do you have any memories of that particular seven-on-seven -seven match? 
I do not, but I'm unsurprised to hear that Claudio was able to come out with the the, the victory. That that was a time, if I remember, that Claudio was also uh, a regular for Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our Saturday night events, like that one in Easton that you just discussed, mm-hmm. he would have a prior commitment. So he was with us often on Sunday afternoons, which in those days, it was Saturday night in Hellertown or Easton, Sunday afternoon at the arena. I, mean, I think all of this season, the, the events were structured that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would make sense that he was only with us on Sunday. And again, he, that was a time where he was rapidly emerging as... Because, you know, this was before there was a grand championship of Chikara. This is before there was, you know, the guy that was carrying the belt or the person that was carrying the belt. Uh, but Claudio was rapidly emerging as the face of Chikara uh, before he was the face of anywhere else. Right. And uh, these, are, these are the waning days of Claudio's hair. <laughs> yeah. He had not committed to shaving his head yet, uh, but not long thereafter he does. So the... the uh, the seven versus seven global gauntlet match. I remember uh, being stuck in the ring with Daisuke Sakamoto. And by that, I mean feeling utterly helpless because of how <laughs> powerful he is. Um, he would just grab me and launch me and then grab me and launch me. And that happens over and over and over again. And if I remember right, there's one point where I get launched and I basically land out on the apron of the ring. So I've gone to the other side of the ropes, but I've not fallen to the floor. And Sekimoto just reaches over the ropes, clamps another waist lock on me, and German suplexes me back into the ring. <laughs> and there's just nothing, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Um, he's an, he is superhumanly powerful, Daisuke Sekimoto. Um, and that weekend that they were with us, between the events... This is during the era when there was another ring at the ECW arena, like in the garage area. Do you remember right. that? The practice ring. As it was Correct. Practice. There was a practice ring that's completely hidden from view from the audience. And I did a class for the big Japan guys. Like, so I taught them a little bit of, you know, whatever my wacky style. To this day, including when I just saw Sekimoto down in New Orleans a couple months ago, mm-hmm. he will always come up and refer to me as maestro, the lucha term for your teacher, which I always found to be very, very flattering, despite the fact that he spent like one afternoon learning from me for about two hours. Um, <laughs> something that could be said of every single one of the people that came over from Big Japan Wrestling was how unbelievably polite and respectful each and every one of them were. And, you know, this is in a period of time where we did some other stuff with Big Japan Wrestling. Of course, there's a team Big Japan Wrestling that you'll find at a couple King of Trios. And then also, they had sort of helped to realize a very small, like a micro tour that Chikara did in Japan. That's right. That was the summer of 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when the – there's some real fun photos from that trip. Uh, the, the poster from that adventure, it resides in the hallway of the Wrestle Factory currently. Yes, it has, that's right. Speaking of phonetic spellings, it has the phonetic pronunciations of uh, Jagged, mm-hmm. uh, Shane Matthews, yep. uh, Chakaru Terror. Yeah, Chakaru Terror, that's right. Uh-huh. right, right. Uh, Fire Ant, Soldier Ant, Crossbones, and oh, Ultramantis was on that tour, that's right. of course. Yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, those uh, were remixed with commentary from Mantis and Leonard of Chikarison mm-hmm. later as a DVD and now on Chikaratopia. Uh, but it's it's a really it's a fun time capsule, uh, and it seems like a fun adventure those gentlemen had. Just watching 3.0 tear up the streets of Japan alone is is that that's 
that's that's worth the plane ticket for me right there. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're curious to watch some of these, uh, mm-hmm. you can navigate back to season seven on Chikaratopia. If you're not a subscriber, the first week of unlimited streaming is absolutely free. So during your free week, investigate the global gauntlet. Some interesting trivia, since, uh, you know, we should certainly dive into a little bit of trivia, if only to satisfy our pal Kevin Ford. Uh, the uh, So both of these, of course, were released as DVDs. The Night 2 DVD release, the cover is an homage to Amazing Spider-Man number 231. That's a cover by John Romita Jr. Uh, that features Ophidian and Player Uno, the reason being, on that event... There is a match for the Campeonatos de Parejas between the Super Smash Brothers and the Osirian Portal. The Global Gauntlet Night 1 DVD release, that cover is based on JLA number 1, which was by, the art was by Howard Porter. So two weird bits of intersection. That JLA run, written by Grant Morrison with art by Howard Porter, is edited by Ruben Diaz. Uh-huh. who heads up the post-production here at Chikara and has for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So th- that's a weird bit of intersection. And of course, this happened before Ruben came on the crew. Huh. So we were paying tribute to his run on JLA before he even got to us. And that artist, Howard Porter, one of my very favorite comic book artists, later does a cover for Chikara. You may know Howard Porter, yeah, the Justice League artist, did the art for Anniversario Never Compromise which is, um, in fact, an homage to one of his own pieces. On the Never Compromise DVD cover, you will see Wink Vavasor walking through, like, a graveyard, more or less, uh, with, like, empty Chikara costumes in tatters hung from crucifixes. Um, This is a reference to a JLA storyline with the Batman villain Raish al Ghul. So, there's some trivia for you, kids. Fascinating, fascinating. Especially if you're Kevin Ford, he's eating this up with a spoon. I hope so. We're yeah, fans of yeah. '90s JLA. It was a great mm-hmm. run of great run of comics. But uh, as we alluded to, this uh, the Global Gauntlet series does bear some similarities to an event that we are about to have, Bryce. We are, we are, we are just a few days away as we record this from not only our annual stop, one of my favorites of the whole year at the to see the Reading fight in Phil's, mm-hmm. uh, but Beyond Wrestling is coming to town. They're coming to the Wrestle Factory in Philadelphia Saturday afternoon with a 3 p.m. bell time, and we're going to have us a friendly uh, five, best of five series. And as I mentioned this week on social media, uh, all the matches will go down. If you know, if, if for whatever reason we see a clean sweep, which I don't anticipate, but if we do, we've advertised five matches. I want to see f- five matches. The crowd wants to see five matches. The people st- streaming along at home on Chikartopia want to see these amazing five matches that we've cooked up with Beyond Wrestling. They're going to see all five of these matches. And uh, it's hard to imagine a more rock-solid lineup of Beyond Wrestling's best against Chikara's finest this Saturday uh, afternoon. Mike, I've I got to ask you, what was your first um, interaction or, or, or exposure to Beyond Wrestling, I guess? Well, I'm not 100% certain, but I think it was when they had hired me to teach um, like a really robust seminar for them that maybe lasted a whole day. So it it was something like this where um, they would pay for usage of the Wrestle Factory. And if I remember right, this might have been when we were in Huntington Valley. I believe so. And so I would teach. They would workshop some matches. 
I would critique, I would tweak some things. I would say, you know, more of this, less of that, whatever. And um, then they would do one of their tapings, which at the time were done in front of no paying audience. Um, And I remember being at one of these in the Huntington Valley version of the Wrestle Factory where like I had turned up to work maybe at around 11 a.m. And it was one in the morning and I was still there. Wow. And it was just it was just of marathon length. So after every single one of these matches, you know, I'd kind of sit with whoever the performers were and kind of talk about what I saw and what I observed. And, you know, like, like I said, more of this, less of that, that kind of stuff. And it was just unbelievably time consuming. Now, the work was very rewarding. And they just had tons and tons of people that would come through. And I think it was in a period of the company where maybe they didn't have what you might identify as like a roster. They just had this constant rotation of people coming through. And then, you know, one by one, maybe somebody would grab your eye or what have you. But I don't think they had a fixed roster. Maybe I'm misremembering this. But what I do remember about there were two or three of these marathon length um, seminars, tapings, whatever you want to call them at the Wrestle Factory. You know, going back, I don't know, what do you think that was, six years ago? I want to say about 2011 or 12. Yeah. yeah. So six, seven years ago. Six, yeah. seven years ago. That is where I first glimpsed Oleg the Usurper. Right. Um, seeing him at one of those um, at the time when some of the Wrestling Is organizations were coming up onto the radar um, was sort of like the entry point for him. And I, th- I th- he just turned up to, you know, take the seminar and... I don't know if I even saw him wrestle that day, to be honest. There were, it was often so full. And now, granted, the old wrestle factory out in Huntington Valley was not the biggest space on earth, certainly far smaller than where we're at on Wingate Street, that it was just so packed, there was nowhere to go. Like, it, it was like when you went to like a junior high dance and it was just packed to the gills with people. Um, you couldn't like find a corner of the room to have a private conversation with someone because there were that many people packed into the space. That's my first recollection of Beyond Wrestling. Um, do you have one? Uh, I did not associate at the time, but in a 2010 trip, this is back when Denver, Colorado, the man, not the place, resided in Sandusky, Ohio. Uh, and he was helping out with AIW and a, a carload of us, I want to say, uh, Jigsaw, Gran Akuma, Hollow Wicked, and myself were on our way to Dragon Gate USA in Chicago. Uh, and we picked up a booking along the way for AIW in Sandusky, Ohio. It was at a, um, uh, a haunted house, but it was off season. So there was like basically the ring was on a, it was like a, a fun house type place. There's a haunted house, there's miniature golf, there's laser tag, there's roller skating. Uh, and the ring was on a roller rink. And that, I guess, Denver, Colorado was helping out promoting with AIW at the time. And that night we all crashed at his house. I didn't connect this until many years later, but I had stayed at his house and he was talking about Beyond Wrestling, but I didn't know what it was because it oh. was either either not actually in existence yet or in its absolute infancy. This is the summer or autumn of 2010. Uh, and then later it, I heard Drew Gulak. I know someone who I just saw this week uh, whose opinions we both respect highly would talk about beyond wrestling. You know, we'd be on a car trip somewhere. He'd be, he'd be, you know, explaining this to me. How it was just sometimes a uh, uh, an exhibition, a fanless exhibitions. They would just put online, mm-hmm. uh, and there was just a, a crew of guys, like you said, a revolving door. Um, if I remember correctly, that's the first time that I heard of or met uh, Mister Touchdown. 
and maybe even the one who would go on to become Jaka mm. uh, was a, was a originally initially a Beyond guy. So then it came to be in the in a in a time where there was a wrestling hole in my heart. You mentioned anniversary of Never Compromise earlier. The summer of 2013. Uh, when Chikara was shut down, there was there were there was no Chikara to have, there were no Chikara events to attend or get excited about. Um, Drew Gulak invited me to come along with him to American Rana, their first uh, one of it was their first mega event. It was mm-hmm. they had just begun doing live events in Providence, Rhode Island, at Fet Music, which is a venue that later Chikara visited two years later. Uh, but and I was a part of the very first American Rana, and it was kind of and part indie supercard, part Beyond's coming out party. And I just remember being, uh, to then and now, five years later, really impressed with, um, make no mistakes about the 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 inner workings of Chikar. It is it is a it is not funded by a by a giant broadcasting conglomerate. It is a <laughs> it is very much done with uh, rolling your sleeves up and grit and uh, a DIY ethos that Denver, Colorado and Beyond Wrestling share. Um, maybe a lot what happens at Beyond Wrestling does not always fit in a PG movie, but the the, the DIY spirit uh, of what has you know fueled Chikara for 16 plus years, that is definitely in the DNA of Beyond Wrestling. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, Beyond Wrestling's been on hard times and they've overcome. They figured out ways to make it work, much like Chikara. And I have uh, long been an admirer and a fan of what they do and what they make. Uh, so I'm excited to welcome them to uh, the Wrestle Factory. I'm excited for this this uh, this series of five contests we're going to see on Saturday. Not a stinker in the bunch when you look at that lineup. Uh, a special weekend. Some making their figurative Chikara debut. Uh, some on their way to perhaps greener pastures. Uh, whatever it is, it's going to be a great afternoon of, of, of action at the Wrestle Factory to be almost immediately followed by Women's Wrestling Revolution on Saturday night. Excited to welcome them to the Wrestle Factory the first time as well. But um, I, I guess that we start with the, the, the grand champion of Chikara. I, you, I would like to get your input on this. Jonathan Gresham versus Juan Francisco de Coronado. Two guys, I mean, you've had, you know, a handful of matches this calendar year, but these two have been your opponents in two of those matches. So you would probably have a, a great insight on, on what to look for in this contest. Yeah, you know, I, I think, if I'm remembering right, I've had just five matches this year, and two of them uh, won a piece against Jonathan Gresham and Juan Francisco de Coronado, right? Yeah, it would have to be. The others uh, being uh, David Starr at Spring Break, Ultimo Dragon at Wrestlepalooza, and Eric Cannon at the Infinite Gauntlet. So that's it. That's the whole tally this year. Uh, that's an exactly a handful if you put one on each finger. A precise handful. <laughs> it's also a metric handful. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Same number of fingers, no matter what yeah, continent. For you Canadians. Of all the matches I'm going to get to call this weekend, I think I'm most excited about that. Because the matches where you get to see great counter-wrestling, um, I feel like really allow me to do what I do best behind the microphone. Um, that's not to say that I don't enjoy like a, a match that makes me laugh or, or anything else, right? But... That's the kind of match that I think will allow me to really show my depth of knowledge as a commentator. So I'm very much looking forward to that one. Um, It's crazy to think about this, how long these two guys have been around. But Dasher Hatfield and Chris Dickinson have, to the best of my knowledge, never wrestled each other. I don't believe so. Definitely not in a singles match. Maybe in some kind of a wacky gauntlet or multiple man, but I, I don't believe in a This is their first singles encounter, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are kind of the the... 
the hard hitters, the the the, the hosses, if that as that term goes, of 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 each division, and both are um, flag bearers of the brands. You know, mm-hmm. when you think of Chikara, Dasher Hatfield's one of the first faces you see on on a poster in your brain. Chris Dickinson, a long time beyond wrestling competitor, uh, and they 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 both bring such unique talents to the table. Excited to even have the possibility of being the third man in the ring with those two on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I think one of the potential sleepers of the series is the lone tag match. Mm-hmm. Crummels and Defarge, former Campeones de Parejas, against EYFBO, who also are known uh, by, by a different set of letters at a different organization. When they appear with Impact Wrestling, they're known as LAX. Right. But if you want to try to give them a, a word, forget it. Acronyms only. Mm-hmm. Do you know what EYFBO stands for? Not a clue. I used to know, but I forget, I'll be honest. I, I Whenever I see it written out, I always, I, uh, I think of, there's some kind of mnemonic device about every little boy deserving fudge that I, is mm-hmm. eluding me currently. Mm-hmm. That comes to mind. I don't remember what it stands for. Someone will tweet us. I'd love to hear it. But in Beyond Rings, they are EYFBO. And, and they were on that for the first time I saw them wrestle was at that American Rana 13 card I discussed earlier. And uh, you don't have a lot of traveling tag teams on the circuit nowadays, but these guys are one of them. Uh, all of their successes they've done together. They've, they've done with each other. And the same could be said largely for Cornelius Crummels and Sonny Defarge, who have, have not been at the craft as long as EYFBO, maybe don't have the, the, the world travels and seasonings. Uh, but as far as tag team specialists, I think the fans on Saturday are in for a treat when these four get into the ring. Excuse your fudgy body odor. <laughs> okay, sure. Of course. Of course. Why, EYFBO. Why? <laughs> You know how I found that? I googled the arena. Oh, okay. That's how I. That's how <laughs> I found got, it. You've got directions to the deodorant <laughs> aisle. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, really looking forward to Solo Darling against Diana Parazzo uh, in what I think is going to prove to be one of Diana's final independent wrestling appearances. Uh, something interesting about this is both these ladies, known for their submission games. Diana, known for her armbar, the Fujiwara armbar, where Solo is known for a submission hold, her sharp stinger, that affects the legs and lower back. So there, there is a similarity to these two in the way they've developed their submission game, and yet in terms of what the body parts where they're going to be, I would imagine, on the attack, completely separate. So how might that affect one strategy versus the other? I can't wait to find out. Yeah, yeah. Diana Parazzo visited us at King of Trios a couple of years ago, I believe, on night three only. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, she just had a, a random appearance because I think at the time she might have been living right near the Palmer Center. Does that sound okay. right? Yes, yes. She was she used to she used to reside in Central Jersey. That that sounds very correct. Uh and I've only, you know, had the the pleasure of exchanging hellos and goodbyes with Diana Parazzo, but uh excited that one of her final stops on her independent journey, perhaps, as it were, uh will be with us at the Russell Factory this Saturday. For sure, for sure. And final last but not least the one I'm most looking forward to. Mm. Uh, he's been on an astonishing role as of late. Mr. Touchdown Mark Angelicetti, who we referred to earlier, now solely and squarely another one of those guys, a, a Chikara flag bearer against Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, uh, the current Powerbomb TV independent champion. The title will not be on the line. Points will be in play. Uh, but for this match, this is, this is the one that I am, of all five, I'm excited about all five. This is the one I'm most excited about. I've spoken to both Mark and Tracy in recent weeks, and that excitement is shared by both of them. Uh, I don't think they've ever had a proper singles encounter. Longtime admirers of each other's skills and what they've done. Uh, on the occasion they get to share a locker room, um, 
it's it's a pleasure, but I don't know they've ever had a straight up singles and excited to host that and potentially and hopefully I know a director of fun that might be able to make this happen. Be the third one in the ring uh, for this singles contest Saturday afternoon. Uh, two guys that just, um, as far as I'm concerned, were put on this earth to be professional wrestlers. Uh, Mark maybe with a bit of power advantage, Tracy maybe with a little bit of, of a submission advantage, uh, but, but both so, so skilled and talented at what they do. And to see these styles mesh uh, within the ring is something I, for one, and I don't think I'm alone, is, are, is very much looking forward to this Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And you will have the best seat in the house for it. Um, yeah, in, it looks like in the way that the order of the series will go, that one will go to the ring last. So like Bryce had alluded to, in the event that the series is swept by either team, that one of them picks up three wins before we get to that final match, that match will go on. Uh, and I think that's important to note because, like you mentioned, that is definitely one of the matches that has had people buzzing. So if you were worried, well, what if somebody gets swept three in a row? Are we not going to get to see the rest of the the card? No, they will go on as exhibition matches. Although, even if that's true, all the matches points are in play. Right. So important to remember that maybe uh, each year's failing box office. Each year's failing. Okay. Okay. EYFBO. Right. I like the first uh, one better. I'm going to be honest. Right. Fudgy body odors where it's at. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but that also, while that may just be an exhibition match, it may not count to the series. It could very well be the deciding one. If, if we end up with two to two, yes. that's, that's, that's winner take all there in that fifth match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so extra pressure, perhaps, or not, we'll find out Saturday uh, for uh, Mr. Touchdown Mark Angelicetti and Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. Mm-hmm. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention... The other advertised bout on the card, which I have to admit is a really intriguing combination of characters. On one side, you have Green Ant, Thief Ant, and Razorhawk, all relative new graduates from the Wrestle Factory, and returning from what many of us thought might have been a career-ending, but has certainly been a career-shortening injury, Worker Ant. He will be back in the ring for the very first time, teaming with these two other ants and a hawk to take on Icarus and his fairly newly minted team with Tony Deppin and Travis Huckabee. And the fourth member filling out their team is Fire Ant. Uh, In terms of long-term ramifications, what this could mean, um, and also how it might cast some of our past in a new light, I cannot wait to see what happens when you get these eight in a ring together. Yeah, well, Worker Ant's first match in a year at least, right? More, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, a year and a half, something, something like that. And and you know, who would have thought his this the way things were when he left that when is his return match he'd be looking across the ring at Fire Ant of all people. This that 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 something if if that quartet that the experienced quartet, uh, Huckabee, Deppin, Icarus, Fire Ant, if if they can align themselves, that is a very dangerous force. No matter mm-hmm. who the opponents are let alone three relative rookies and a guy coming off the shelf for the first time in some 18-odd months. Uh, so, yes, a, a, a lot a lot of, of flavors in that stew. It's too hot for stew. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of flavors in that uh, milkshake. I don't know. What's, what's, it, what's, it, what's it time for? Italian hot ice? Hot soup. Hot soup. <laughs> throw that hot soup on there. Throw a dash of hot sauce. Spike the football. You got yourself a good stew going. Uh, but it should be very interesting when those eight characters share one ring this Saturday afternoon. And I, I heard you say the, the the final advertised match. The 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 office is working overtime. We'll see what happens on Saturday, Mike. 
Well, two things about this Atomico's match that I have to admit have made me pay increasing amounts of attention to it. Um, this, number one, well, just think about this in context. What if we went back to when the Global Gauntlet was happening in season seven? If I told you then that Icarus and Fireant would be teaming together, would you have believed me? I would not. No. Uh, with good reason. There's a lot of history there. And I know, you know, we've, we saw a transformation on the part of Icarus, and yeah, they were even teammates in that short-lived group, the Furies. But here, here's the other thing that I want to call attention to. Just earlier this week, revealed for King of Trios, the most recently announced trio is called the Fist Order. Right. And that's Icarus, Deppin, and Huckabee. So, potentially, Fireran is going to the ring with those guys on Saturday. When I have to factor that into everything else, th this one has just got me captivated. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for the Best of Five series. Uh, and all of it's going down this Saturday at the Wrestle Factory. Clan Feuds kicks off at 3 o'clock p.m., followed almost immediately thereafter by uh, WWR, which they in and of themselves have a fantastic card, including a little bit of a round robin that's going on. Mm -hmm. You can see both these very distinct, very unique events virtually back-to-back, -back, just long enough to run out, grab yourself some Sweet Lucy's barbecue, and come right back to the Wrestle Factory. Enjoy a fun day out at the matches. We'll have the AC blasting on Wingate Street. You can grab tickets to our event at ChikaraTix.com, and tickets uh, to the WWR event go to BeyondWrestling.com to pick those up for yourself. Bryce will be there. I will be there. I hope that we see you at the Wrestle Factory on Saturday for some clan feuds. By Saturday, we will know if I have achieved one of my lifelong goals of shooting a hot dog cannon, <laughs> uh, which is one of my, you know, every year when this Reading Fight Phil's it does comes come around, up every year. This is not got, a joke. It got, it got rained out last year. Two years ago, the wacky hot dog guy, he, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, Mike. He comes Dude. around, he's got the big thing around his neck, he's got oh, the yeah. wacky, he, he told me that I didn't have the proper paperwork uh, I wasn't. I wasn't a licensed hot dog cannon firer. Uh, well, I did a little research. There's no such thing, and I prepare. I'm prepared to uh, to let this man know when he tries to give me that excuse this Friday. I want to shoot a hot dog cannon from inside the car ring this Friday night in front of King Kong Bundy mm -hmm. and all the fans of the Fight and Fills at First Energy Stadium. So another thing to put on your weekend calendar: tickets to the Chikara event, free with the Fight and Fills ticket. Minor league baseball is already an amazingly incredible deal. We throw in fireworks, the opportunity to meet WrestleMania II headliner King Kong Bundy, and uh, a five-match card of Chikara action. That is a Friday night well spent underneath the stars. The forecast is looking great. No rain out this year, and also working on authorizing a five-count match in honor of King Kong Bundy on Friday night. Mm -hmm. The match can only end with a five-count. You may have actually been there, Bryce, but, you know, back in the days of Ed Zahn and Doug Flex's IPW organization, I was frequently on the undercard of independent wrestling events headlined by King Kong Bundy, including at least one in Lebanon's Eagles Hall. Oh, yeah. I have a Polaroid photo of me standing in the ring with King Kong Bundy, with him pantomime strangling me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was wearing, if I remember correctly, because I was... I was really hip. I was really in on things, wearing my pro wrestling torch T-shirt that I got with my year subscription. And uh, King Kong Bundy, prior to snapping this Polaroid photo, told me that Wade Keller was a bonehead. 
so my 14-year-old, I took that to heart from coming from King Kong Bundy. And yes, I have an autographed Polaroid. He, he was a guy on that circuit. A lot of time when you'd see a random, uh, he must have lived relatively in the area. Those mm-hmm. random like pop up autograph signings at beer distributors, yeah. you know, it was it right. was it was your King Kong Bundys, it was your Superfly Jimmy Snookas, uh, but yeah, I, I came, I, I encountered King Kong Bundy more than once in those days, mm-hmm. uh, but I believe this will be my first time sharing a locker room, so to speak, or a practice facility or whatever it is we end up in Friday night uh, with the fight and fills. So uh, you know, I'm I'm sure he's he's a guy that's got some stories, and uh, we'll have mm-hmm. plenty of time to hear hear all of them on Friday. Yes. Yeah. He's possessed of a great sense of humor and he has a gigantic laugh. Like the walls shake when King Kong Bundy is laughing in that era. I bet you I was on at least a few dozen events headlined by Bundy when the event was run by Doug Flex and Ed Zahn, his favorite joke to make. And I think he did it in part to point out the size disparity between the two of us. Um, he would creep up toward the curtain and say, hey, could I put Quackenbush in my tights and then pull him out and use him as a foreign object? <laughs> and like he had different ways of putting that joke together. But I felt like I heard that joke dozens and dozens of times. Like <laughs> if he was there, I knew I was going to hear that joke. Um, and I went Another through the reason whole to buy cycle. a ticket Friday night. Maybe that'll happen finally. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I've heard he is slimmed down for health reasons. Okay, um, okay. I have not seen him in person, though, uh, since the demise of Johnny Graham's PWE in central Pennsylvania. Um, and as far as I know, for for the, his entire adult life, King Kong Bundy has resided in New Jersey. So he's he's not too far away. But I would I am very much looking forward to seeing him, given I used to see him quite a bit. And I thought that we had a somewhat friendly relationship. And I've not probably seen him much in the last 10 years at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to look forward to this weekend. Great. Mm-hmm. Excited. And last weekend, if we're going to talk about something borrowed, right? Uh, I was up in Montreal, Quebec, where prior to this weekend, I think the, you know my entire experience with Montreal has been drive to a booking, jump out of the car, put on the sparkly tights, jump back in the car, and come right back home. I have I have never spent any real length of time in Montreal whatsoever. Have you? I have. I've, I've been lucky to spend a weekend there once upon a time. It's a lovely city. Uh, that would be a metric weekend, correct, Mike? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, yes, yes. A lovely city, I believe, the birthplace of Cirque du Soleil, correct? Yes. In fact, my hotel was less than two kilometers from their headquarters. That is one of the, uh, I believe, because it's a friend of a friend, there, there used to be a promotion called Femme Fatales. It was an all-women's promotion that rest, that uh, uh, came out, out of Montreal he had a buddy that worked at a hotel, and because of that, you know, once in a while in the, in the wrestling travels, you end up in a really nice hotel, and you can't figure out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I stayed in an Aloft hotel in Montreal, one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed in, uh, thanks to wrestling. And, uh, and that was the time I got to spend a long weekend there and walk around the streets, enjoy a smoked meat sandwich uh, with 3.0 and our, our, our friend El Generico. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, I, I take it you had a, a, a likewise lovely experience in the Great White North. It was quite lovely. It's Montreal's a beautiful city. Um, something I discovered while I was up there, a little bit to my chagrin, was this. That Americans rely on Yelp in a way that Canadians do not. Okay. Uh, so before my first of two seminars up there for their IWS Hardcore – Mm-hmm. Our friend, former Chikara star, Shane Hawk, also sometimes known as Bacock, yes, uh, yes. Shane Hawk, had, w- was very just gracious, you know, like 
do I want a, a student to come into the hotel and take me out, show me the town, breakfast? And I thought, no. You know what I want to do in the morning? I'm going to have a relaxing morning on my own. I want to start to mentally prepare for the fact that I'm going to be teaching for hours and hours and hours all day Saturday and all day Sunday. I thought to myself, I'm going to go, I'll find a breakfast place near my hotel. And then before I have to turn up to work, I'm going to drive over to Cirque du Soleil corporate headquarters and just see what I can do. Uh-huh. And by that, I mean, I thought, can I get inside? Could I get a tour or could I meet someone who's in charge? Just, just see, you know, weirder things have happened. And I'm fairly unabashed when I have to do those kinds of things, right? I'll just walk right in. I'll announce sure. who I am. Hey, can I have a tour? Hey, uh, is Guy La Liberté here? Cause I want to talk to him, whatever. Um, so I opened up Yelp and I found breakfast places near me and I went through the first seven on the list and they were all closed. So they were closed in this sort of way where it appears in the app, like they're open for business, but you get there and you're like, Oh, like this place shut down. Oh, this place is closed for a wedding. This place, this, and as the time was going on and I'm just driving all over Montreal, going to these breakfast spots, my free time is disappearing. So uh, I'd never made it to Cirque headquarters, but I did make it to work on time because the eighth breakfast place, thankfully, was one that was both open for business and would serve me breakfast. Um, it was called Allo, A-L-L-O exclamation point. I went okay. to Allo, and I had myself some breakfast. What do and they off- say when you walk in? Uh, bonjour. Bonjour. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they have to. Do you know uh-huh. in, in Quebec, they must address you in French because there that is the primary language. Right, right. Um, uh, as we, I, we may even discuss in this podcast, uh, Montreal is partially anglicized. Uh, Quebec City is not at all. No. Uh, right, right. When we In our time in Quebec City, I, I even remember our, our tour up there in 2014, we had bilingual ring announcers, especially in Quebec City, uh, because right. the crowd was, was unable, I mean, as charming as Gavin Loudspeaker is and was, uh, they were not understanding the words that were coming out of his mouth. So mm-hmm. yes, Montreal, uh, you can maybe get by with English in parts of Montreal, but in Quebec City, forget about it. Uh, and I, I, you were by yourself. You had no transit. You had no help. That's right. And okay. part of it was because some were there of the pictures, were there pictures on the menu? <laughs> yes. Thankfully. Yeah, good. Good. Um, so, but, you know, everybody up there does speak enough English to get by, which is great because my French is probably limited to bonjour and merci beaucoup, and that's about it. So, uh, I, I spent two days up there. I would say the real highlight for me was getting to spend so much time with Shane Hawk and then also getting to have breakfast. Uh, Hawk and I had breakfast with our friends from 3.0, Jagged Scott Parker and Big Magic himself, Shane Matthews. And uh, we met in the downtown area because uh, right, right after that breakfast, we, we had, to, had to get to work. Um, it has been – I didn't realize it, I guess, until – I think it was Jagged who said it. I have not seen you in person in over three years, which just kind of blew my mind. There's something about the, the passage of time in wrestling, and you feel like, I, I just saw those guys a month ago, didn't I? But no. No, apparently not. To Jagged's recollection, I haven't seen them in three years which just seemed mind-boggling to me, but I guess must be right, right? Yeah, that's, uh, I feel like we saw them in Toronto in the summer of 16, I believe. That was probably the last time I saw them. Mm, okay, that was, so, so two, two, two years. years. But, but understandable how that feels like three, absolutely. Those guys have been busy guys. We've been busy guys. Totally understandable. Uh, 
I gotta, I gotta, I gotta call out Big Magic. I saw a photo on on the social media this week. Mm-hmm. The social, the social media, as they say on the streets. Is he wearing a tap out shirt? He was, yes. You think you know a guy, man? You think you know a guy? He would have, <laughs> he would have made fun of that guy two years ago. Mm-hmm. He would be, he would be the one making fun of the guy wearing a tap out shirt. And now here he is parading around the streets of Montreal, having lunch with you, wearing a tap out shirt. Man, maybe, maybe just medium sized magic. I'm not, the, I'm not so sure anymore. Well. I, I don't want to throw any anybody under a bus. Okay. Um, but I will say this, that someone who I spoke to at the beginning of the trip said to uh-huh. me, there's someone you should really go out of your way to meet on this trip. And I said, who's that? And their response was, adult Shane Matthews. <laughs> and I said, I'm not sure I follow what you're saying. And they're like, the Shane Matthews you once knew was like a man boy. But now he's grown up, and you should really go out of your way to meet him because it's like meeting a totally different human. And I thought, oh, challenge accepted. Uh-huh. So, uh, however, the one thing has always remained true, that all, each and every one of these guys are unbelievably funny and charming uh, and just very, very amiable people. And yes, uh, all of us now have a couple more miles on our cars and a couple more years on us and maybe even a gray hair here and there. But it was such great fun uh, sharing a, a, a breakfast that ran like about an hour too long because we were all just having such a great time telling old stories and, t- and catching up on news stories while cracking each other up. Um, it, it really was quite wonderful. Uh, now, it was also great having the opportunity to teach so many different people. I had about 30 people on day one and I had about 20 people on day two. So these were very full wow. classes on very hot afternoons in, in the midst of a heat wave hitting Quebec in an unair conditioned warehouse. So... It's not always winter there? No. You know, oh, wow. the whole, I've been so misinformed. It took me about nine hours to get there. And the whole way, all I was thinking was, man, I cannot wait to feel that cool Canadian weather. <laughs> uh, it was hotter one of the days that I was there than it was here. About 30, um, 32, 34? What are we talking? A, a balmy 34 Celsius. Oh, wow. Wow. Look out. So, yes. Um, but it, it, it was great going up there and getting to see a what what they've built at IWS Hardcore. Mm-hmm. And uh, generally, it is Shane Matthews and Shane Hawk doing some of the training. L- to a lesser extent, Jagged comes through. I think he lives a little bit further away from the facility. And uh, also a guy who you might recall from way back in the day, who is collectively just referred to as Manny. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Speaking so, of a guy that likes some acronyms, that's, that's our old friend Manny. Mm-hmm. Yes. Manny was responsible for my first... I don't know if it was your first trip. It was my first trip to Montreal for wrestling ever mm-hmm. uh, in the a very chilly December night in 2004. Do you remember this? We, maybe, there, was a tra- there was a traveling six-man, which I believe may have gone on to be Blackjack Marciano's last match. Oh, yes. 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 I, I remember because I was uh, unceremoniously clotheslined by the man known as PCO that night. Uh, that oh. was the first time I had the pleasure of meeting him 13 and a half years ago. This was the December of 04. That's right. And I mean, at the time, he looked he was not embracing the Quebecers as he does now. Uh, but that's all I could think about. And he wanted nothing to do with that. And mm. uh, a situation unfolded where I got clotheslined uh, by PCO. And let me tell you, uh, the next morning, it was very evident that I was clotheslined by PCO the night before. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that to be true. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, another favorite, what 
one of my favorite, speaking of, you know, spending so much time just having a great time catching up, there was an afternoon in Montreal. It was a Sunday that there was a, there was a, an event Saturday night. I believe it was for IWS. I was in a car with Eddie Kingston, Larry Sweeney, and myself were up, and we stayed over Sunday just to hang out. It was summer. It was a nice day. And we met up to have lunch with Jagged. Uh, I, I don't think Shane Matthews was there. I think it was Jagged, uh, the artist formerly known as El Generico, the artist formerly known as Kevin Steen, and uh, Shane Hawk might have been there as well. And we had all these intentions of doing all these Montreal touristy things. We just ended up hanging out, shooting the breeze, making each other laugh, having a great time. And it's one of those days that you don't think of it now, but you're so glad that someone had the foresight to get out what I guess was a digital camera in those days. It's the summer of 2006. Mm -hmm. And snap a photo of all of us. Because there's so many of these great times back in those days that there's, you know, are just memories. They're just memories in your brain. But mm -hmm. this, there's a photographic, photographic memory because it's one of my favorite photos of uh, the six or seven of us all hanging out in the corner uh, in Montreal. And it is also my, by default, WWE Network debut because this photo, I guess they were doing a, they were doing a, a documentary on Kevin Owens and they were, you know, showing pictures from his past. And this, uh, he must have submitted this photo of all of us having a great time hanging out on the street in Montreal in the summer of 06. And there's Eddie Kingston, Larry Sweeney, and myself with several of Montreal's finest, just hamming it up, having a lovely afternoon in the streets of Montreal, right there on the WWE Network, uh, which is great. Like, I wouldn't have it any other way. A, a lovely afternoon, a lo lovely memory that is even more so immortalized forever uh, on the WWE Network. Which it, a, 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 lovely, a lovely day in Montreal, if you'd say, you know, how do you see you making your WWE debut in some ways? That's not what I would have picked. Uh, right. But I'm, I'm, I'm very much so okay with it. And uh, Shane Hawk, the last time I saw him, we were up in, in 2014, that trip we took uh, to, to Quebec. I think the, the last time I saw him. I may have seen him since then. Anyhow, always a pleasure to see Shane Hawk. Uh, his, his obnoxious attitude that he, he in earlier Chikara seasons that seems to have gone away. He seems to have grown up quite a bit. And he's a very interesting fellow. He's got his, uh, he's got his fingers in a, in a lot of different pots up in Montreal. Mm -hmm. he, yes. he, was, he was organizing a music festival last time I talked to him or something. That's right. Yeah. He once put together a wrestling card that was the opening act for Metallica. Yes, that's right. That's what he's telling me about. That's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, wonderfully intelligent and hilarious guy who's really uh, just developed into a dear, dear friend. Um, yeah. uh, publicly for, for a period of time there, he was a somewhat outspoken uh, advocate for uh, mental health mm -hmm. and raising awareness. Um, appeared on, I think national Canadian news talking about that just a couple of years ago. I remember seeing the clip. Uh, I was very moved by it. Um, he also contributes stories to the WWE comic book that is published by boom entertainment. Huh. So uh, you may have ever once and again, been thumbing through an issue of WWE comic and noticed uh, one of his stories in there that he does with his um, frequent art collaborator, um, Andy Belanger, who also worked on kill Shakespeare. I only happen to know that title because I sometimes reviewed it on an old podcast of mine, the grizzly bear egg cafe. So he does stay quite busy these days. And of course he's uh, taking a strong hand in training the next generation of stars for IWS hardcore. My favorite memory of Shane Hawk, although I have many, but my very favorite goes back to season six of Chikara on night three of young lions cup five. I happened to wrestle Shane Hawk in a singles match. Now, Bryce, uh, the way it fell together, Derek Sabato happened to be the referee in the ring for this particular match. In terms of its personal significance to me, it is the only time I ever wrestled where members from my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family happened to be in attendance. Wow. 
But from a professional point of view, what I remember about this was that we had a somewhat friendly bet about which of us could make the other one laugh first. Do you know the match I am referring to? I do. It's Hellertown, right? Yes. Yeah, I do. Exactly. The guy who lost was Derek Sabato. Um, (laughs) However, not counting the referee, the guy who did laugh next was in fact me. Uh, So (laughs) although I tried to use Sabato, the reality is I lost the bet. But we tried very, very hard in that match to make each other laugh, and Shane Hawk did it. He's always had brilliant comedic timing, um, in addition to just being uh, uh, such a multi-talented human being. Was that the match you won with a side headlock, or was that a Sal Renaro affair in Easton? I did pin Sal Renaro with a side headlock okay, okay, in okay. Easton. Um, another, another classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am pretty sure that the match I'm referring to in Hallertown ends with Quack and Driver number two. Okay. Um, and it also it contains a swanton bomb from Shane Hawk, where I, I have never struggled so hard to get a breath back into my body. Like, it so completely did exactly what the job of one of those moves is. It drove all the breath out of my body in such a way that I couldn't take another breath. Um, and I just remember how horrible that feeling was, like of not being able to draw more air into my lungs. Um, I also remember that we wore contrasting colors. I had royal blue on, and he had orange. Mm-hmm. Thinking of contrasting, you, you mentioned a, a seminar you did for the big, our friends at Big Japan back in 2008. You spoke of a seminar you did just this past metric weekend in Quebec. Uh, is, do you find language barrier to be an issue at these seminars, or is it more of a show than do what what is that process like for you well it depends on what what they want from me i'm content to just if you want to just do arm drags and wacky holds and whatnot boy i'm happy to do that but a lot of seminars i've done recently when i ask at, at the top you know i like to say to them look you've spent your money to be here you've taken time away from your job or your loved ones to be here what do you want to learn whether it's today, this whole weekend, what do you want? And I'm going to gear it toward what you want to learn so that you get out of it what you want. Sometimes I'm given a list of topics that are all just talking points, um, which I'm happy to do, although sometimes I come home with a craggly voice. But I do occasionally wonder, like, what are they taking away? And this was certainly the case. There was a group of francophones uh, there in Montreal where they spoke virtually no English or very little English. And I had to wonder, like, what value are they taking away from some of this? Now, occasionally someone would kind of sit in the midst of them and translate. But, um, yeah, I often wonder what their experience is like. I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Of course, in the ring, the physical mechanics serve as a universal language we all know. But when it gets down down to the talky-talky bit, one, I mean, for me, that can get a little boring after a while. I'm happy to do it. Uh, for for a bit, but the seminars I've done where there's no physical activity whatsoever, I think, why did I even pack my shorts? This one was more more in ring in Montreal. It was a good balance. Okay. Um, I started off with like an hour of talking, and then the rest was all in the ring. And then on the second day, I saved as much of the talking to the very end as possible. Um, also, in part because I thought I know I have to get directly on the road. It's going to take me about nine hours to get home, and we're only wrapping at five o'clock. So if I'm running really hard right up until the wire, I'm going to be a sweaty mess. And like getting in the car to do a drive, feeling like a sweaty mess is just the worst. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had a great weekend. Is there, are, is there anywhere next on this on the seminar horizon, is that a, a, a new adventure? Well, the I would say the next thing along these lines is Masterclass Weekend at the sure. Wrestle Factory. Mm-hmm. So that is a two-day 
like super learning extravaganza of sorts. It is nine seminars and an in-ring workshopping of matches that's being offered to pro wrestlers of all experience levels. That's August 4th and 5th at the Wrestle Factory, uh, where I will be teaching, but also if you want to learn Olympic wrestling from renowned Olympic wrestling coach and a fantastic pro wrestler, Rory Gulak, you're going to have the opportunity. Um, behind the scenes, something that Icarus has always been very involved in is helping uh, our students put together meal plans because of his speciality when it comes to um, diet and fitness. And he's going to be offering up his knowledge as part of Masterclass Weekend and tons of other stuff going on. So that's really the next big one on the horizon. Um, and if it's not sold out, there isn't many availabilities left. That's that's all but gone. So that one is next, less than a month away. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yes. I, uh, unfortunately, First Wrestling is not located in Memphis because the this episode could have been subtitled from, from Montreal to Memphis. That's right. But from Montreal to Minneapolis sort of rolls off the tongue, hint, hint. Indeed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I got to go out and see our friends, Eric Cannon, Mr. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I always want to say Mr. Kennedy, but I should get in the habit of saying Mr. Anderson. I thought you couldn't remember his last name for a second. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, all the names you forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always about to come out of my mouth, Mr. Yeah, Kennedy. And I think right. sometimes I even say that by mistake. Sure. Um, and I should be saying Mr. Anderson, uh, as well as uh, the always lovely Molly Holly. So I was out there at the Academy for uh, a, a, another type of weekend extravaganza, except part of it was about teaching and, and doing a seminar. And part of the reason that we were out there, and then you were out there, and Dasher Hatfield was out there, and Hollow Wicked was out there, and Princess Kimberly was out there, was for the massive Wrestlepalooza. Yes. Uh, what, one of the finest pro wrestling parties in all the land, if not the finest pro wrestling party in all the land. It's, it's tough to, to come home and tell these tales of the Wrestlepalooza experience. But this is much like we say about Chikara. The only proper way to experience Wrestlepalooza is to experience it live. And you have to get your tickets early because I believe this last one sold out six weeks in advance with no matches announced. It's just that hot. Mm-hmm. Twice a year at First Avenue, the next one tentatively assumed to be in early January of 2019. I'm sure you'll hear about it from our friends at First Wrestling. Uh, just an, you know, a, a joyful, pleasant experience. People of all walks having a great time. We often talk at Chikara about forgetting the cares of everyday life, leaving all that at the door, and just having a pleasant, smiling pro wrestling experience. The minute you get off the plane in Minneapolis, as far in my experience, there's there's politeness, there's Minnesota nice, there's there's don't you knows, there's perhaps everyone smiling. There's a hug from Mama Cannon every time I visit Minneapolis, which is thing to check off the beautiful overwhelming mall of america that we met at very briefly <laughs> uh i got to go to a twins game with dasher hatfield another great experience and then you know the cherry on top as, as hard as this is to believe is uh, was the actual russell plus event got to catch up with a dear friend ryan cruz came along with us to the baseball game haven't haven't actually you know had a chance to have a real conversation with him in a while just so many great friends that we've accumulated over the years and so many of them and so many new friends like the airwolves of the world mm-hmm. uh um converging together a lovely time had in minneapolis as always and a lovely surprise not only for the fans in attendance in the opening match, but for you yourself, Mike. Am I wrong about this? No, you are correct, Mr. Remsburg. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yes. Well, certainly, uh, it, was, it was wonderful. I, we never see Darren Corbin enough. We never mm-hmm. see Ryan Cruz enough. We never mm-hmm. see Eric Cannon enough. Um, and, you know, Minnesota is one of those. It's just far enough away. Like, if, 
Man, you got in a car and you did that trip. What do you think it would take you? 19, hey, 20 hours? I, I can tell you it's about 18 or 19 hours. I've done it before several times. 18, right. 19 hours if you're lucky. It's just far enough away that it makes the travel back and forth out there a bit of a bear. You've got to have a special occasion to do it. It's not the kind of thing that you do standing on your head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, just to think for a second, if we were going to go down and see our pals at CWF Mid-Atlantic, if you did it at the right time of night, you could make it from our home base to their home base in less than eight hours. Um, you know, that's just enough, right? That's, a, that's an iPod full of podcasts and you're there. Sure. But Minnesota's just a bit too far. So we have some of our long-distance friends that we just never see them as much as we would love to see them. And, of course, as the years go on and people get more serious about um, maybe a career outside of professional wrestling or changes in their social life, their marital status, their familial status, all those kinds of changes go on, that impacts your availability. And so there are these people that it felt like we used to see them all the time, and now maybe we see them once a year or less. But they remain fondly remembered and dear friends, just like the Jaggeds and the Shane Matthews and the Shane Hawks. Um, Same is true of that Minnesota crew. So one, it was very heartwarming to be out there. And, you know, I don't don't get out very much and do those kinds of things anymore. So uh, for me, it was so old, it's new again. There was a novelty to being out there. Of course, it's always great to be outside the confines of Chikar and yet still get to see uh, people who I always love seeing, like a Bryce Ramsberg, like a Princess Kimberly, like a Dasher Hatfield, um, and, and all of our Minnesota friends. And as you alluded to, something very special was put together for me. Uh, I got to walk out to the ring at Palooza to open up the night, which, one, I mean, what a great place to be able to do that in the opener. I get to be the first pro wrestler oh, to walk yeah. out there and see that room, feel that audience, um, only to be followed moments later by Ultimo Dragon. To Tears for Fears, nonetheless. Yes. So <laughs> uh, when coordinating this with the people at First Wrestling, I was asked about, uh, could you send this information and this graphic and this other thing that we need from you? And when I put that bundle together, as, as a veteran performer does, mm-hmm. I said, I have also attached my entrance theme for you. That way you don't have to go hunting it down. And the remark that I got back was something like, oh, that's not the right song. And I thought, <laughs> well, I know what the right song is. It's Heat of the Battle by Stan Bush. I know because Stan gave me that to use as my entrance song. However, it, it, it's, it's worth noting that to the vast majority of people out there um, that followed my career for any length of time, they associate a different song with my entrances. And that, that's Break It Down Again by Tears for Fears a song that came out back in 1993. It's probably the only remarkable song on their album, Elemental, which is the first one that Roland does after Kurt Smith leaves. So there's a couple Tears for Fears albums where they're not a duo, it's just a solo act. It might as well have just been called Roland or Zabel because Kurt Smith is gone. And Elemental's one of those. Um, uh, Kings of Spain is one. And then there's another, like, Rarities one that only got released in Japan, maybe called Saturn 9. I don't know. Um, I don't even have that one. That's how hard that one is to find. So uh, it felt very good to come out hearing Tears for Fears blasting through First Avenue uh, and then to turn around and see. And I know this seems like such a strange detail, but of all the outfits Ultimo Dragon has worn over the years, um, you know, there's uh, that gold one when he first captured the IWGP junior title from Jushin Thunder Liger to the one that, you know, he slipped off the top rope at WrestleMania wearing. Whatever, <laughs> you think about them all, that, like, 
teal blue to oh, me yeah. is Ultimo Dragon. Sure, sure. That think is of the, what the, the, the Mysterio Malenko Jericho classics from the Nitro years. Like that, that, that outfit is in so many of those mental pictures. Yes. So the fact that, and, and in his bag, he apparently had like six different sets. So he could have worn anything. But the fact that he wore that to the ring um, just added to uh, the goosebump factor, let's call yep. it. Yep. Uh, point of trivia for you. Do you think you have ever wrestled in a venue that Tears for Fears has played Break It Down Again inside of? Yes. Okay. I had a tag match where Jigsaw and I were against M-Dog 20, Matt Cross, and Eric Stevens in what might have been my last Ring of Honor match. Okay. Uh, It's definitely my last Ring of Honor tag in New York City. Okay. And... Uh, Tears for Fears absolutely played Break It Down Again in that same venue because I was there to see it. Okay. They definitely played it at First Avenue on April 29th, 1996, if the internet's <laughs> to, be, to be believed. <laughs> so make that two. Make that two. Well, and what I mean, what are the odds of that? Two of them. Right? You know, right. Like, I was, I was going to guess maybe a little, probably a small venue for them, but the garage in London would have been a guess of mine. Mm. Well, it's possible because in the mid-90s, after Kurt leaves, their popularity begins to plummet. Okay. And uh, Tears for Fears as an act is playing much smaller and smaller venues until they kind of enter into a period of dormancy before Kurt and Roland reunite in the OOs. You may know they are meant to have a new album out later this year. Ooh. Yes. So there may be a chance to go and catch them on tour. If, if, you, if Even if you only know their 80s hits, the huge ones, Everybody Wants to Rule the World and Shout, I can tell you having seen them in concert – one, they sound amazing. It is not like one of those um, like retro acts where you're like, well, they used to be great. No, they are amazing. They reproduce the songs in a way that um, it reminds you of the album. You know, it's not like one of those like, oh, I kind of get what they're playing. Like if you go and see Bob Dylan right now, right? Uh-huh. One, it's because his voice is so blown out. But he gets to the end and you're like, oh, that was like a Rolling Stone. I didn't realize. Um, <laughs> no, they are amazing performers. And when I saw them, Singing the chorus to shout, uh, both Kurt and Roland brought all of their children out on stage who sung the chorus with them, uh, which I thought was uh, just a really wonderful moment. So if you get the chance to see him, go see yourself some Tears for Fears. Uh, If you get to check it out, grab yourself Wrestlepalooza 12, I believe. Uh, That features yours truly, Mike Quackenbush, in the opener against Ultimo Dragon and puts me closer to a certain kind of sweet set. So I've wrestled Jushin Liger. I've wrestled Ultimo Dragon. I have wrestled Tiger Mask 4. I've wrestled The Great Sasuke. And as I was joking online with, I believe it was Joey Janela, it's now a race to get to Super Delphin. Right. And you, speaking of Joey Janela, you were on opposite sides of a trios match against Jinsei Shinzaki at King of Trios, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's about to wrestle him in August in New York City. Oh. So, yeah, the race is on for Super Delphi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, great time had by all at Wrestlepalooza. We mentioned uh, Darren Corbin, Dasher Hatfield, Hollow Wicked versus Princess Kimberly, a return match of a, grand, a Chikara Grand Championship match. Speaking of championships, Airwolf, the youngest that I'm aware of, uh, primary champion of a functional promotion, 18 years old, the new Wrestlepalooza champion. We saw him back at Young Lions Cup. One to keep an eye on for sure, uh, both as a positive attitude and in-ring competitor. I know he is the, the pride and joy graduate thus far of the Academy. And uh, I'll be excited to see Airwolf uh, come King of Trios time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were just 
so so many people that I got the chance to reconnect with on that trip. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw the Thunder Frog in person. Mm-hmm. It was always great to see mm-hmm. Airwolf, all of these people. Behind the merch table, Brina. Shout out to Brina. Yeah, I just loved yeah, seeing all great. these people again. Um, and it reminded me a little bit of um, the value of getting out and doing the travel, which for the last few years I've really eschewed doing the travel. But I've missed out on seeing some of our great long-distance friends. And these two most recent trips to Montreal and Minneapolis were good reminders of, of how many uh, beloved friends we have out there that we just yeah. never get to see enough of. Now, you, you mentioned having, you know, changing priorities in life, families, kids, etc. It makes these trips uh, more infrequent and in ways more treasured. Uh, but I know when Minneapolis is coming up on the schedule, it might mean a certain amount of hours away from home. But I always know it's worth it because we are always in good hands, both with the fans, both with the locker room and the powers that be at First Wrestling. As I mentioned, the minute you get off the plane to the minute you get back on the plane, you can't stop smiling. A, a great experience, a well-handled locker room, all the arrangements just beautifully well taken care of, a, a shining star on anyone's schedule, be it as a fan or performer. Uh, first wrestling and i cannot overstate this enough get yourself minneapolis make the trip even if it's january i promise you that it is worth it uh a a nearly unparalleled live professional wrestling experience is going on and it's flying under a lot of radars and i can't figure out why but get that dvd experience it for yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that leaves just one thing to cover it it won't just be something blue this time it's something red white and blue and it's coming to the wrestle factory in august so on the same day that the hour of power will next be held at the wrestle factory although the hour of power has been reinvented for the first time ever it is open to the public you can buy tickets to come to the hour of power of course if you happen to be a member of the chikarmi and you've got your membership card with you uh you're allowed entrance absolutely free so don't spend the 15 bucks on the ticket to the hour of power your admission is free you get those membership cards inside our parcels of power there's just a few days left if you want the dasher mini buddy uh we're about to reveal what's coming in the next cycle of the parcel of power our quarterly subscription box Oh, the handiwork of, of our friend at, at Super Fun Yeah Yeah Rocket Ship out of St. Louis. Another, yes. another friend of the podcast. Another very talented guy I wish we saw more, speaking of which. But yeah, those Dasher buddies are very, very cool. Mm-hmm. So two things I want to say on our way out the door about mm-hmm. what's coming uh, to the Wrestle Factory, and that is the Massive Mega Fights Federation. Uh, number one, uh, this event, which is going to be going on just very shortly after we wrap the Hour of Power, about as quickly as we can turn the room over for them, uh, Massive Mega Fights Federation will take the stage. And unlike Chikara, this will not be an all-ages show. Uh, and a lot of times we have uh, organizations like that come through. Like Beyond Wrestling does not necessarily put on uh, PG-appropriate content all the time. So I feel like that's worthy of being mentioned. You can always kind of count on that from us at Chikara to the best of our ability to control circumstances and deliver it. But that's not true when others come in and present their events at the Wrestle Factory. That will certainly be the case. Massive Mega Fights Federation, probably not appropriate for kids. Um, and something else that I think you should know about it is that uh, it is really shaping up to be a very absurdist type event that wants to, I think, really take some of the crazier things going on in U.S. and world politics right now um, to their craziest and most absurd extreme while looking at them through the lens of 80s professional wrestling. And I think if if you take a look at what they've been doing thus far online, MMF, I think, underscore official is their Twitter account. You will get the sense uh, that 
taking a look at some of the wildest things that are really impacting our lives as Americans and everything else that's been going on in the last couple of years here in our country, but adding the weird dust of the first nationalization era of professional wrestling to it is going to result in some very weird and wacky stuff. Um, and it's probably not going to be appropriate for all people. I get uh, a very strong indication of that. Nevertheless, I think it's going to be uh, a fun and weird experiment. I can't wait to see it myself. Will you be in the house for Massive Mega Fights Federation, Bryce? I don't believe I'd miss it for the world, Mike. It's a place <laughs> to be on, on Saturday, August 18. Uh, uh, the little bit I understand of it has me very intrigued. As a wrestling fan, as an 80s wrestling fan, as an, as an American as a as a a fan of John Oliver, perhaps a lot going mm-hmm. into this, and I, I'm excited to see what goes down on uh, August 18th, SummerSlam weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Right, there's a lot going on in America right now that could probably right. be lampooned or satirized, and I can't yeah. wait to see what that looks like uh, through the lens of professional wrestling. Right, so, and August 18th feels like a forever way. It'll be here before you know it. Just like all 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 the way time works nowadays, it'll be here before you know it. A week, a month, whatever it is, but we'll be we'll be sitting together. Uh, seeing what what the, uh, they've cooked up on August 18th before you know it. And we hope you'll be there too. Yes. Oh, and this may not yet be public. Uh, and if that's the case, then I am breaking it to you right here on Deep Blue Something. If you are interested to attend Massive Mega Fights Federation, you will be admitted free with your ticket to that day's hour of power as oh. virtue of special arrangement um, and... Who knows? We may see more of these at the Wrestle Factory. Uh, whether it's some new experimental group, I, I think at some point in time we might talk about uh, an event that was meant to be held at the Wrestle Factory but did not happen called Equal Rights, Equal Fights. Mm-hmm. Or any of these other great groups, WWR, Beyond Wrestling, PWEs back in the autumn, or anybody else that's coming through the Wrestle Factory, we always try to find a way to make it uh, a bit advantageous to check out these other great troops that come right through. And we're just about through, Bryce. We, we hit them all, all four. We did. We, we we hit the Holy Trinity. I was recently at a wedding. The the featured cocktail was the something blueberry mojito. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that maybe not in the PG world of, of Chikara, but but maybe somewhere in the world of beyond. Uh, but worth mentioning. We hit all. We checked all four boxes. Until we talk in another exact two weeks, right, yep. Mike? That's right. Exactly. This exactly. bi-weekly podcast will return in just a fortnight. Mm-hmm. Or something similar to that. So without any further ado, for Bryce Remsburg and for Todd and Toby Pipes, I'm Mike Quackenbush saying eager young ferrets bully otters. 